Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. When we talk about the creative economy and what we do in it, it's our mission. Like if I ever look and say, what projects are we going to take on or what initiatives we're going to be involved in? I really like them to be within our mission work within that creative economy. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR. Shaping our Appalachian region. If you're an entrepreneur out there, especially in eastern Kentucky, check them out. Appalachia Meets World, we're back another week. It's Will. And Neil, what's up, my man? What's going on down there? You got any uh, red haze from all the wildfires happening up north? No wildfires down here in my part of uh, Appalachia, other than the the neighbor, a couple couple, uh, acres over, burning some stuff the other day. I got a little nervous. Clear blue skies other than that? Clear blue skies, baby. Been beautiful lately. Local moonbows happening in the last week. Can you tell the listeners about the moonbow? I think half of our listeners know, but you know, you say that. I wonder if any of our listeners know the moonbow, as it's called. It's a rare phenomenon that requires a number of perfect conditions to. I don't need the science behind it. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So basically, have you ever heard of Cumberland Falls, Will? I know you have. I know you've been yeah. there. One of the most beautiful places that I've seen, and it's right here in Appalachia. But you can often see what is called the Moonbow at this state resort park. It happens late at night as the moon gets gets in perfect position to be to create a rainbow through the through the falls. Had a couple perfect condition nights lately. Yeah, it only happens in two places. One is that I think it's the Amazon, like in the Amazon in the Nile River. Only two places. The other one is in Kentucky. I've always, I've always heard it's only two places that it happens, and the other one is is the Cumberland Falls. So it's pretty cool. I have been there several times to witness it, but every time I've gone, it's been cloudy. Have you ever seen it? I have not seen it in person. I can't lie. All these years, I've never seen it in person. Next time I'm there on a clear night, we'll head that way. We, I mean, we need to. We need to experience that, right? But it, it is beautiful. I've seen pictures. Our sister went recently and took an incredible picture. I said our sister sent it, but you know our brother-in-law took the picture. He's the camera guru. You attending the Laurel Cove Festival today? It's today and tomorrow. Yeah, man, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, you'll have to tell us all about it next week. Yeah, Will. So uh, we've talked about the Moonbow. That's always app news. But uh, how, on a more serious note, do you have any other app news for me tonight? I do have some app news uh, that I wanted to mention. The I know we've mentioned this organization before, the West Virginia Community Hub. It selected its first communities for Accelerate West Virginia. I don't know if we've mentioned Accelerate West Virginia, but it was part of the Act Now Coalition 
which we have mentioned with Cofield Development. It was part of the Build Back Better Challenge when they won. Well, this is a small piece of it. Accelerate The Accelerate West Virginia program was part of the Community and Business Resilience Initiative work. And so the hub, West Virginia, is going to work with some partners to work alongside six communities. Six, that's what I want to say. Six communities were selected. They just announced those communities, and the hub's going to be working two years alongside them to create economic resilience plans, revitalize their business districts and connect projects to funding. And those six communities are Wayne, West Virginia, Fairfield, the Fairfield community of Huntington, the west side of Charleston, Webster County, Reconvert, and Princeton. So those are the six communities. It's a pretty cool initiative and it's pretty exciting to see where they head with that in the future. A couple other items for app news. The Appalachian Fair, which we've mentioned on here before, happens in right outside of Johnson City, Tennessee. They're having the 97th annual this year, even older than the Mount Laurel Festival. This is in Tennessee, August 21st through 28th at the Appalachian Fairgrounds in Gray, Tennessee, just outside of Johnson City. I wanted to mention it because they just announced their lineup, their music lineup for every single day of the festival. One person per day, but those people are Zach Williams, Joe Nichols, Scotty McCreary, Chase Beckham, Josh Turner, and L. King. And their motto this year is hometown traditions. So if you like any of those artists, you better get your tickets now. They just announced. I'm dying to see L. King live. I'd love to see her. She's playing on, uh, I think, Saturday night during the August 26th. So check that out. We'll put it in the show notes. One more thing. We'll keep this brief, the app news brief today, because we got a good episode. I wanted to talk about PBS Appalachia, Virginia. It was just announced that they won seven nominations for the 65th Capital Emmy Awards before its official launch date. So at PBS Appalachian, Virginia, its official launch date is June the 10th, and they are redefining the television landscape as the nation's first all-digital public TV station, but I think it's a testament to their hard work and creativity in the region that they've been nominated for seven Emmy Awards before it even launches. It launches tomorrow. It focuses on Southwest Virginia. It gives a voice to Southwest Virginia and to share that voice with the world through high-quality programs that it produces. So it's kind of like our podcast giving a voice to Appalachians to spread throughout the world. It really celebrates the region of Southwest Virginia's culture, its heritage and music to aid in economic development in the region. One of those programs I just wanted to mention, it's called Homegrown, where they highlight a community every program. The first community, St. Paul, Virginia. Well, its website is pbsavirginia.org. If you want to check it out, it's got some cool programming on there. The actual Emmy Awards will be announced. The winners will be announced June 24th. So stay tuned for that. I wanted to mention that because of what the area of the country that PBS Appalachian Virginia focuses on, Southwest Virginia. You know, we mentioned a couple episodes. We have family. Southwest Virginia, Aunt Betty. Do you remember going to Aunt Betty's when you were young? 
No, I do, Will. I've mentioned it before. What do you remember most about Aunt Betty's house? Of course, I remember the food. The food was always incredible. I always remember eating green beans there. I don't know why, but I remember her her garden out beside her house. Of course, it was food to table, but it, she just had this incredible garden out beside her house. And I remember playing with our cousins. And I don't know. What do you remember? Okay, so this is going to be odd for our listeners. So surprise, surprise. Aunt Betty was married at one time and her husband had an accident and he cut a finger off. <laughs> you remember that? I do. They had that finger in a jar. I had nightmares about it as a I kid. Remember. Oh my and, god, I remember now. And they sit they like, why? Why did they have his finger in a jar? Well, that's like the most Appalachian thing ever. <laughs> Keeping a piece of that tradition. <laughs> I'm gonna keep my man's finger forever. I still don't know why. I never I remember that. Now. I never really asked anybody when I was little. I was just scared. We need to, so. we need to find out. We'll do a little. We'll do a little reconnaissance research and uh, <laughs> report, report back. Yeah, that that needs to be added on our family tree somewhere. But it's such a special part of the country, Southwest Virginia, the Appalachian part of Virginia. I wanted to mention it tonight because of the person that we're having on, Miss Kim. Davis. She is the executive director of Friends of Southwest Virginia, which is really a regional tourism organization for the entire region of Southwest Virginia. We wanted to have her on because we've been talking about tourism and we really wanted to focus on this region and see what they're doing. It's a really unique organization of how they run it. No one better to tell the story than Miss Kim Davis. Yeah, looking forward to hearing from her, Will. So I guess uh, without further ado, let, let's get her on, man. Let's do it. There's a dark and a troubled side of life. There's a bright and a sunny side, too. So we meet with the darkness and strife. This sunny side we also may be. Well, on the episode of today, we have a special guest, Miss Kim Davis. She's a native Appalachian from Southwest Virginia. She's a marketing and tourism professional with over 15 years of experience in nonprofit communities, event management, and marketing. Previously, she worked as a senior director for Visit Knoxville and as the director for the Birthplace of Country Music in Bristol, and now as the executive director of the Friends of Southwest Virginia, which is a regional organization to advance community development and tourism initiatives. She's also a graduate of the University of Tennessee, but we won't hold that against her. Kim, thank you so much for being on the show today. We want to, we appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much, Bill, for having me on here. This is going to be uh, a great time. I'm excited to talk to you and share a little bit about what's going on in Southwest Virginia. We want to get into all that. Obviously, you know, we've been talking about tourism for the last couple episodes and really focusing on your region to talk about what's going on there. But first, we wanted to ask you a question that we ask everyone. As most Appalachians are big on history, big on tradition, our family, Neil and I, we're big on tradition as well. One of those traditions that we have, we have appetizers at the holidays. Like we have this gigantic spread of appetizers. It's bigger than the meals. So we wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite appetizer or just holiday dish? 
I do. Uh, appetizer, this is going to be kind of a funny one, but it's something that we require like all of our events here at the center. And I love like candied bacon. Like I know that that's like crazy, but it's just like sugar-coated bacon. It's probably horrible for you. So I do that. And then if I'm going to bring a dish, my husband requires me to make, you know, hash brown casserole, you know, the cheese, oh. the the hash browns and all the things. I don't eat that mm-hmm. as much. I just bring it every time. But the candied bacon is something that is a must around here. That is two amazing appetizers. We've never had the answer candied bacon. And I'm <laughs> telling you, I've had it recently, as you mm-hmm. well know. And it is amazing. I got to ask you about the hash brown casserole. Is that your choice of side at Cracker Barrel? No, actually, I don't eat it. I have to make it. It's required of me by my husband to make. He's like, please make this. But no, I do not. Okra, fried okra, two servings. Like, you know, you get two sides. I get two fried okras. (laughs) My jam. Nice. You know what you want. I like it. I do. Um, I do. Well, now that we have that question out of the way, we can we can dive right into Southwest Virginia. You know, like I said in, in the intro, we've been talking about tourism, creative and unique attractions uh, that kind of drive tourism. But you are, like I mentioned, the executive director of an entire region, the Southwest Virginia region. Can you just let our listeners know uh, what that region consists of and what is Friends of Southwest Virginia? So Friends of Southwest Virginia is a nonprofit organization that really focuses on community development and marketing of Southwest Virginia. And so we really have four main focus areas. We focus on the community development side, looking at, you know, tourism infrastructure, uh, master planning for the region and anything that, you know, any type of capacity building, you know, initiatives that we can do. Uh, Marketing wise, we really try to promote Southwest Virginia as a destination. And so we have a regional brand and we really promote that to our outside folks that don't live here to come and visit. We also run a beautiful building, an artisan center and a visitor center uh, in Abington, Virginia called the Southwest Virginia Cultural Center. A lot of people may know it for Hartwood and we uh, run this facility. Uh, We really try, we have over 200 artisans that have their craft in this facility. We're an events facility, but we're also an official visitor center for uh, the state of Virginia for Virginia tourism. So we really have a lot of brochures, a lot of itineraries, really try to be a gateway to get people to come in and then go out. And then finally, we also really focus on our artisans. I'm sure we'll get into the why we do that as we go through this conversation, but really helping them, you know, create their businesses and their craft and things like that. And so a lot of people will say, well, that's great, but where, like, it, like what exactly is Southwest Virginia? And the General Assembly in Virginia defines Southwest Virginia for us as 19 counties in Virginia's southern and western borders. In those 19 counties, there's 53 towns. We have four independent cities on top of that. And it's about 8,600 square miles. So about a fifth of Virginia's whole uh, state is what Southwest Virginia is. We have a couple of national forests, 11 state parks as well. So a lot, as you can see with that, a lot of outdoors, a lot of beautiful scenic beauty. That's kind of our region. It's very rural. It, it can be rural in places, I should say, and then more populated in others. But then how do we create economic development and and things like that through our development efforts? And then how do we market and build that tourism? That's perfect. It is the Appalachian side of Virginia. Mm-hmm. As Neil and I have said many of times, we're from Southeast Kentucky. And so we share the Cumberland Gap, which is where I spent a lot of my childhood field trips 
mm-hmm. uh, at, the, at the Cumberland Gap. So we're kind of neighbors there in Kentucky and Southwest Virginia. I had family in Southwest Virginia, even. One of the things being from where we were from, the first thing that people ask you about, you know, what are the challenges? But we always try to flip that script on the show we always try to think about the opportunities. And I can imagine coming from a, as the executive director of this tourism organization, that's exactly what you do in regards to tourism and attraction. You talk about the opportunities in regards to that, you know, a sustainable economy or a region is one that's built on really its history and its unique assets. So Speaking of opportunities, what sets Southwest Virginia apart? What makes it different? What makes people want to go there? I definitely think our landscape is one. You know, you can go up towards Blacksburg, Virginia, as you're going up towards Roanoke, and you get the New River. You know, the New River flows from North Carolina through Virginia up into West Virginia. And the things there are to do there are just incredible. Uh, So we have a lot of our blueways, the New River, the Clinch River, However, like all these different things are definitely things that people can do. And so I definitely think the outdoors are things. And of course, like we talk about our heritage, right? We talk about how incredibly proud we are to be Appalachian. And so our culture and our heritage traditions are one thing that we really look at. How do we take those and create experiences for visitors who don't have that, that get to do, you know, that that don't get to see some of those heritage craft or that heritage music. And so that's one of those things that we look at as we're talking about the Crooked Road, which is a 330 mile track through Southwest Virginia to talk about our music history and our heritage. And then you've got Round the Mountain Artisans Network, which is a network of hundreds of artisans throughout Southwest Virginia doing heritage crafts. And so you're looking at those things and you add the outdoors onto that. And then you add the uniqueness of each of these communities. And it really makes it a really unique place that offers, you know, visitors something different. It really is different. I know we, we you know, you talk about Cumberland Gap. I was just there a couple of weeks ago working on a project. And so like, I'm in, over there as well. I was in Kentucky, like right over the mountain as well. There's a lot of similarities, but then as you start moving out from that area and going up through, you know, through Virginia, the landscapes just change so differently. You've got the Piedmont, you know, down, you know, closer to the North Carolina border. And as you're going up towards West Virginia, you know, just some of those. So it's really unique, some of the different things. You know, you mentioned a lot of the the highlights uh, of the region. You, You know, you also mentioned the music, the artisans what some people may refer to as the creative economy. As an organization, Friends of Southwest Virginia, you know, you claim or you do focus on the creative economy. Can you just explain what that is and why it's your impetus for focus and why really it's important for the region that was once not really controlled, but like driven by the coal industry, the tobacco industry that have have dwindled in the last decade or so? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I'm going to take us back a little bit. Uh, when I describe this, uh, this is kind of how I describe the creative economy. But as we were losing that tobacco and the coal and other manufacturing and textiles and things like that, there were a group of folks from the state level, the local level, just all over looking at how do we create economic development in Southwest Virginia? And so one of the ways they decided to do it was focusing on the creative economy. How can we take the natural and heritage assets that we have as a region and and create economic development? So there's a lot of different 
definitions for creative economy. It's an economics term, but that's when I like simplify it down to our mission and what we do. It's taking the natural and heritage assets and creating economic development. So back in the early 2000s, there were two organizations that I've spoken of, but were formed. The first one was the Crooked Road, which was a music trail throughout Southwest Virginia. And then we also developed Round the Mountain. Uh, the Crooked Road came about in 2004 and Round the Mountain officially began, you know, in 2005. And so they start doing the work. Like they start, you know, talking about like very specific things, right? They're looking at how do we take our art, like our musicians and our artisans and tell their stories? How do we promote this, this whole story and these venues and these art galleries and different things like that? And so they took off. And it was, you know, started to being that driver they hoped it to be. And so several years later, Friends of Southwest Virginia was created to really kind of look at the whole big picture, to add in the development side of things, to add in, you know, if we were going to build infrastructure or look at planning in that creative economy space, kind of Friends kind of took on that role. When we talk about the creative economy and what we do in it, it's our mission. Like if, if I ever look and say, what projects are we going to take on or what initiatives we're going to be involved in. I really like them to be within our mission work within that creative economy, because that's where we really are specialized in. An excellent point of, of, you know, really diversifying the economy and not just focusing on one area, but also focusing on the heritage. But mm -hmm. you also mentioned infrastructure, which when you think of tourism, when you think of regional tourism, you also often think of the marketing of the events, of the celebrations, but you as an organization also focus on the infrastructure. Can you just talk a little bit about what your role is in regards to that? I know you mentioned it, but what really is your role and how does it help to drive tourism in the region? So in infrastructure, let's talk about that specifically, and then we'll get into tourism as a whole. You know, it's we're working with communities and they are saying, I really would like to build or create or different things like that. Um, a lot of times we'll look to say, you know, do they have the capacity to do that? Is there an interest from state, federal, private funders to do those things? If the answer is yes, they have capacity and yes, there's an interest and they're large enough to do it, sometimes we'll be kind of in the background of that, you know, helping them kind of walk through that. But if there's not the capacity or if the project is a good project, but if we were to leverage it with multiple projects that may be similar-ish, you know, in the region, and that would be a stronger ask to a funder, that's a lot of times where we'll come in and we'll say, okay, you know, we have these five projects, you know, that are really unique. One might, you know, be a boat launch. One might be a destination center. One might be improving a parking lot at a park, but they're all in the outdoor economy or they're all in, you know, there's a, there's a similarity and they're going to be in these five distinct regions of Southwest Virginia. And we go start asking for funding for all of them. That sometimes will be a, you know, a really attractive ask to a funder to say, how do we do this? So really when it comes to like infrastructure and things like that, we look at what the interest is, what the capacity is, and then what is the best way to get those funding things done and kind of we'll navigate that. And that kind of leads us into the tourism side of things. Like how do we market the region and, you know, how, what, what do we do? And, you know, I think, you know, we really try to get interest in people looking at Southwest Virginia. You know, it is something that we have been doing, I would say, 
for the probably the last doing doing pretty good for the last seven, eight years. But there are people that have been doing it a lot longer, you know, and so you think about like your Asheville's and your Boone, North Carolina's or your Northeast Tennessee's or even in Kentucky, your Eastern Kentucky's or your West Virginia's looking at, you know, when people are thinking about, hey, I want to do this weekend getaway, or I want to go take this family vacation, or I want to go to this hike or bike, or I just want to see museums or whatever, but they start thinking of Southwest Virginia as an option for that. So that is really what we're trying to cultivate on the tourism side is just really building up. We can build up the infrastructure to get people to come, and then we turn around and we market people to come come experience it. Yeah, I love how you describe that, how they play off each other. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that's almost, you know, thinking outside the box from your organization Mm -hmm. as not all tourism organizations are structured like that or do that. So we want to commend you for the work that you do there with Friends of Southwest Virginia. Thank you. Thank you. It's really unique. You know, it's not a, it's not a model we see everywhere. You usually will find like economic or community development, regional initiatives, or you'll find regional tourism, but to find the blend of the two is really unique. And it's, I think it's something that I'm starting to hear a little bit more about as I, as I get to meet more regional folks throughout the country, but it is definitely a unique way to go about it. Yeah, I think that's incredibly important of not just working in silos, but blending the two. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, one thing I did want to ask you about, you know, you mentioned some of the highlights. You also led the marketing for the birthplace of country music, mm-hmm. uh, which is a huge draw for mm-hmm. your for your area there in Bristol. But that being said, your region is also built on the smaller communities, on these small downtowns, like you mentioned, like much of Appalachia. You know, the heart of Appalachia is really those small community towns. So when you focus efforts on things like the birthplace of country music, which really can attract people just from name alone. How do you bridge that small town, big city, that rural urban divide when you're talking about tourism, when you're talking about attraction? And how do you focus efforts on the smaller communities or not forget about the smaller communities and the heritage that we have in Appalachia, uh, where often more effort is needed in these smaller communities. How, how, how do you do that on a day-to-day basis? <laughs> well, I want to talk about, I think I'll go about two ways on this. One, I'll talk about how we did it at Birthplace of Country Music, and then I'll take it for how we do it as a regional organization. When I was at Birthplace of Country Music, and they're still, they still have the same mindset, we knew that we were a, that we need to be a good steward of, of the region. And so we knew people were coming all over the country, all over the world to see the Birthplace of Country Music Museum. So we were constantly trying to partner and look at other heritage music experiences, other different things that people may enjoy doing. And I go back to the whole, it's a traditional tourism concept is the hub and spoke. You know, you've got somewhere like Bristol that has you know, the Birthplace of Country Music Museum, they have a racetrack for Summer Speedway. It's one of the top NASCAR speedways in the country. You've got downtown hotels and hotels around the city. You have an incredible downtown. You've got other performing arts or performing arts venues. You've got restaurants and retail and all those things. You've got downtown and outside of downtown. So you've got a really great place if somebody wants to come and experience but so then what do you do? Then what we look at is like, how do you get people out into the region to experience? So when we were at Birthplace of Country Music, we would always push people, especially on Saturday nights, go to the Carter Fold. It's, you know, kind of that, the place of the Carter family. We would say, you know, go see the Ralph Stanley Museum 
We used to even like talk about other music museums that weren't even in Southwest Virginia or even Tennessee. We talked about the Bluegrass Museum in Kentucky. You know, we would talk about different things like all over that we would just kind of push people out to. And so really trying to expand their experiences. And like when we were working with groups, especially, we would try to put together you know, motor coach groups and senior groups and things like that, that focused around heritage music. And they may go to two or three different states, but they got to see it. So it was always just trying to take, if we've got people coming, how to to expand that out. As the regional moving into like this position, looking at as a region, exact same mindset. We're looking at, okay, we know people are coming to Bristol. You know, we know people are going to be doing that. We know people are going to the Blue Ridge Music Center. We know people that are going to key, you know, key things. How do we then get them out into some of these smaller communities that have these unique experiences? So we, you know, there's a lot of itinerary building. There's a lot of, you know, emphasis on educating our front desk employees, you know, and things like that. So when people are, you know, engaging with our visitors, they can easily kind of gauge what they want to do and experience that. Maybe it's not a music thing. Maybe they're sitting in Bristol and they want like a really unique, you know, cuisine or something like that, that they can know, you know, here's where you should go. That's a 20 minute drive or 15 minute drive or 30 minute drive, you know, in, in different ways. So I think we're always looking at that, you know, people that are coming to the museum or maybe going on um, the Virginia Creeper Trail is a big one, or even the Blue Ridge Parkway, you know, half the parkways in Virginia. It's one of the most visited, if not the most visited, you know, park in the country that they talk about. It's the experience. And so how do you get those people and get those out to the smaller communities? And that's something that we really look at when we're looking at our marketing efforts and how we're doing those things. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that collaboration piece. Neil and I, are we're from a part of Kentucky that there's a major tourism attraction that's being built currently called Boone's Ridge. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's something when you when you said you visited Kentucky recently, I, I know that you actually visited Boone's mm-hmm. Ridge from my previous conversations. But when you're working, um, w- when we, we actually had Boone's Ridge on the show and they talked about not having enough hotels, of having to tell people to go to travel to, to Virginia for the hotels, but also to see what's what's in Southwest Virginia while, while they're here to extend your stay. How do you work with other states when they have these major attractions like that as well? You mentioned it a little bit in your answer, but is there direct communication with these other states, with these other organizations? Absolutely. I think first and foremost, getting to know what's right across the state lines because our visitors do not see state lines. They don't see county lines. They don't see city lines. They just want to go experience. So if they know they can have a really unique experience in an hour away or 30 minutes away or however long it is, they'll go do it. I'm really excited about the project that's happening at Boone's Ridge. I'm excited to see how that it all come together. Uh, it's going to be incredible for Cumberland Gap area and, and Lee County in Virginia and Wise County. But I think it's also going to pull people you know, both ways. Like, I think it's going to pull some people from Southwest Virginia over, but I think there's going to be people that are coming in that are like, what else is going on in this this area that I can drive to in a pretty, you know, easy drive? And so I definitely think that when you either, and Southwest Virginia is really unique because we have North Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, and West Virginia. So we have four states. We have a lot of opportunities to really look at how, you know, how we're working across state lines. I think it's just as important to have relationships and partnerships with our partners right across the state lines and knowing what's going on over there as it is, 
even have, knowing what our partners are doing here. So that you can find out if there's collaborations. And I think that's something that you do find the closer you get to bordering communities is that they're already working together. They already know, you know, a lot of times, sometimes they don't, but as the regional, we're constantly like looking at those things and figuring out how can we, there's, how can we get together? How can we have synergy and momentum together? Yeah, I think that's a spot on answer, especially in economic development. We talk about competition, but working together is really what achieves, you know, like you said, uh, customers or, or, or people don't see state lines, don't see county lines when they're visiting attractions. And so working together is much more important than the competition that um, tourism or economic development often drives. I, um, I agree. And a lot of the work that we're doing right now, there's a there's several funders that are offering a lot of incentives and initiatives and dollars for multi-state projects. And so, you know, you've got everything from, you know, Appalachian Regional Commissions, Arise Grants, and even some power grants. And then there's a couple of other funders too that are looking at how are you working across state lines? So I get excited that a lot of our federal initiatives are looking at that because I think that only just helps people keep open minds on how you can work across state lines to do some of these initiatives. Economic development or tourism or community development, you know, when we talk about that, we always talk about growth. We always talk about development more, more, more. Uh, In tourism, a lot of the times how you measure yourself, it's often on numbers, the amount of people that, that you can attract. However, like I mentioned before, a lot of Appalachia is built on these small towns. And with this small town charm, that's really what we're known for. How do you balance the marketing, the attraction, the growth, the development with keeping the small town charm of what makes Appalachia special? I think the key here, and it is something we have, it's a delicate balance, right? And I think we saw it, especially during COVID. We saw it around the country where we had some really unique outdoor you know, experiences were just onslaughted with people, right? Like you couldn't park, you couldn't, you hardly could experience it. You know, anything that was outdoors was just getting flooded. And I think that just kind of proves the point that too much marketing, you know, you don't want that to happen. You still want to um, protect that experience for that visitor. So for me, it's just making sure that we are really diversifying what we are promoting. If we're promoting bike trails, you know, I know there are certain trails that get really, really busy in the fall. And it's to the point where like, sometimes it will impact somebody's experience. If they go on a beautiful Saturday in October, you're going to have thousands of other people with you, you know? And so what we look at is we do promote those, but we also look at what other experiences that are similar through the region that we could promote that maybe aren't as known. And so it's it's kind of, we take the responsibility of saying, you know, if there's a certain waterfall or outdoor feature, or we know a certain time in a community is just already crazy, then a lot of times we'll look at, okay, if people are coming in just to do this, where else could they do it? You know, where we know they could, and not giving them options is, if at all possible, or being like, you know, it's a little bit busier this time of year. You may want to start out in the morning or go in the late afternoon if they really want to do it. So just trying to be really responsible and saying, you know, here's to manage the expectation, but also to give options. Cause a lot of people are like, you know what? Like, I think I'd like to, I want to try this over here. And we're still, we're starting to see like pull in some of those visitors over to those other experiences, which then they have a great time because they're not around 
2,000 or 10,000 extra people. <laughs> your, some of your key initiatives that you talk about from an organization, branding and marketing, developing and sustaining the marketplace, expanding outdoor rec, and planning and implementing downtown re revitalization. I wanted to talk about the marketplace. I know you mentioned it a few times. I don't think our listeners really understand what the marketplace is, but local small businesses can go, uh, you know, they, they can go a long way in driving tourism. Like we said, these small towns, these small downtowns, considering your work with the, with the marketplace, can you just explain what that is and how you work with these small businesses? Absolutely. You know, entrepreneurship is something we really focus on, uh, especially with where we also run Round the Mountain Artisan Network. So what we do there is we're looking at how can we offer, you know, education and training that's specific for artisan things. You know, there's a lot of incredible resources in each of our regions to how to set up a business, run a business, those things. And we make sure that at least for our artisans and even our small town community businesses that we work with in downtown know that those things are going on. We don't want to replicate that. There's no reason for us because there's incredible resources through small business development districts, through different community colleges, regular colleges, Main Street program. Chambers are a great resource. So if you want to know how to run your QuickBooks, if you want to know how to set up your business, that's that. Where we really focus in is how do we create trainings around specific areas, especially for our artisans. So for we'll have, you know, we have trainings that will talk a little bit about like, how do you price your goods? You know, a lot of times when somebody starts out becoming an artisan, they'll just run to Michael's or maybe Amazon or something like that. And they'll get that. Was that the best way to buy your product or should you buy it wholesale? How do you price your time? That's, that's another big one, right? How do like people don't realize that their time has value and what they've spent to make that good. So we really try to talk about how do you do that? Or how do you scale your business from being a hobby to a side business to maybe a part-time job to a full-time job? You know, we, we've had several conversations in the last month with a few artisans who were like, I wonder if I'm ready to make this my full-time job, like fully go all in. And so walking with them through that process of what that means is really important. So we have a lot of different educational things that we are actually getting ready to roll out for this next year that we're excited about that are very specific, like kind of niches and that we really want to focus on to help our artisans and some of our small businesses really get that, that really, you know, unique training that you're not going to get past the, you know, how do you start a business? And so I think that's that balance of bringing, making sure that we're providing resources that are already available to them and then being very specific in the training that we do. I think if we can focus our energies on that, then that's going to mean, you know, that's going to help us really help those businesses move the needle. Yeah. I think that's really an extraordinary piece that you do. I mean, Appalachia has often been known as a very risk adverse region. And what I'm hearing is that you are really mitigating that risk or the, the potential risk for a lot of those entrepreneurs or helping them develop along the way, which I think is extraordinary for an organization such as yours and, and for the small businesses in the region. Right. They're very, we're very passionate about that. And you, with the marketplace, you also sell some of the some of the things that the small business has. Can you can you let our listeners know where on your website? Yeah, can... absolutely. Yeah, you can get go to visit Southwest Virginia or visit SWBA 
org and you can get right to it or go to Southwest Virginia Cultural Center and it'll pop up. And we also have an online store that we just relaunched uh, earlier this spring with uh, about 2,500 items on it. So we're excited about that, but we have artists and galleries. And so to have your stuff in the artists and galleries, you first have to be a member of Around the Mountain, and then you have to jury your items in. You're, it's juried by peer artisans, and it has to be heritage craft, and it's got to fit in the different mediums we have, but then they will select it. And there's different price points. You know, there is, you know, incredibly affordable, you know, things that are, you know, pretty inexpensive uh, up to like a mid price, you know, moderately priced, you know, items that may be a few hundred dollars. And so really, you know, giving that way, you know, that the kind of that range, I should say that, you know, a lot of people, either they, they're visiting, they just want something unique, Southwest Virginia. Locals want to come get, you know, a unique Southwest Virginia gift to give to somebody. People, businesses like to give, like we'll put together gift boxes and things like that for businesses to give away to customers or different things. We're kind of that place. A lot of artisans can sell, a lot of our artisans sell multiple places and some, I want to say a lot, also just sell here. And so a lot don't have an online presence. So this could be their only online presence. Others have huge online presence that we'll try to drive people to. So it kind of goes back and forth and really meeting the artists and where they are. And we could either be like a place they sell or the place they sell. We really try to work with, with what the artist wants there and be that that resource for them. Yeah, I love that tool that they have or that opportunity option that they have with your organization. One of the other initiatives that I mentioned, outdoor recreation is really what you focus on. It's really a part of a diverse economy that Southwest Virginia is starting to understand. That's one part of it, outdoor recreation. But as you grow as a region, there's also, when you talk about the future of tourism, this idea of sustainable tourism are really doing no harm. You mentioned before when 10,000 people, thousands and thousands of people show up and you don't have room and they may be destructive in regards to the outdoor, the natural environment. There's also this idea of regenerative tourism or making the place better when you left it. Uh, With outdoor rec and tourism, such a big part of what you do, is this something you think about? Um, Is this something that concerns you or... How do you get tourists involved? How do you become more sustainable, more regenerative to keep what you have? I think when you're working with visitors, you know, making sure that you share with them some of those sustainability practices, you know, picking up after yourself, you know, not leaving things around, not disturbing, you know, disturbing things. I also think that we work a lot with a lot of our conservancies, like our trail conservancies, depending on what trail it is. And so promoting some of the things they do. And one of the things that I also find just fascinating, especially this is more for our like residents, but really helping to promote a lot of those conservancies and just region, like micro regions, I guess, within the big region, a lot of their cleanup days or a lot of their trail development days, you know, really trying to push that, hey, this is an opportunity if you want to go out and you want to help your own community, or if you if you love this trail or love this blue way, you know, that you're able to do that. And so a lot of times we will look at, you know, promoting those opportunities to our locals to make sure they know about them, uh, because we do have such a broad reach. But then also on a, you know, visitor side, making sure that we get some of those best practices out to them, uh, especially like when we're talking to them one-on-one or even if or on emails, different things like that, that were kind of like showing some of those those things they could do, those little small steps they could do. And then I think the other thing is also kind of what I talked about earlier, which was taking, you know, making sure that if we know an area is going to be 
extremely busy looking at alternative experiences that are very similar, just as stunning, but maybe not as known about and really promoting those and helping kind of spread out that crowd a little bit. So it's kind of helps that. People talk about our region. They often talk about the challenges, and but you know we've been talking a lot about the opportunities. But there also are challenges in the region. And a couple of those challenges, you know, we talk about climate change or climate resilience. Although there there is a recent study that came out from Invest Appalachia that states that due to climate re- change, that it may attract more people to Appalachia, the Appalachia region, the smaller communities. But also COVID obviously was a big challenge for a lot of areas, especially the tourism industry. How has it affected some of these challenges or other challenges even? How has it affected your region and and has it changed tourism at all? I think, you know, especially with COVID, one of the things that was a very much of a balance was having a lot of folks coming into the region, you know, experiencing one of the things that we talked about that can be a challenge in some communities or is lodging or even sometimes even in some of our communities, even like restaurants and things like that. And how do you sustain those? So, you know, during COVID, a lot of our small businesses, like everywhere, were really affected. You know, how do they stay open? How do our outfitters, you know, or, you know, if they had booms in COVID, how do they sustain that now that things have kind of gotten bad? to, you know, close to 2019 levels. And we are seeing that. We are, we, we have data tourism data through 2021, which came out last year. We'll get the new ones very soon here in the next couple of months for 2022. But, you know, we were already seeing that we were very close to 2019. And I think by the time we get to 2022 data that we'll see, you know, that we're going to be right with it, if not above it. And so we have bounced back in some regards, but I think, you know, what we face is just that, you know, sustaining those small businesses, sometimes it's very difficult and changes like like the challenges we went through with COVID, you know, where people couldn't go into certain places or venues or, you know, for whatever, you know, whatever it is, keeping those open was definitely a challenge. And so even if people may go and enjoy these great outdoors, what type of experiences are they going to have like with dining and retail and lodging and things like that? So I think it's just really looking at making sure we have a strong small business mindset as we're going and how to work with them. You know, that's where I feel like the challenge has been is just like those small businesses is, you know, making sure that they're sustainable because that's where visitors love, like they love going into communities and, and they love that hospitality and, and what they experience and being part, you know, what are the locals eating? What are the locals doing type mindset? And so it's just keeping them, you know, sustained and, and open. Your organization is so unique when it comes to tourism I guess, unique model, but also kind of thinking outside the box. What what do you see as the future of tourism or more specifically the future of tourism in Southwest Virginia? You know, I do think that we need, and we're on the path, like we're already working towards that. I think you're going to see more trail development, more blue way development specifically to build out those to be very robust and do things. Uh, I think is important. Um, I also think probably a little bit more build out of tourism infrastructure and communities and things like that, Uh, making sure we have the staff or we have Main Street directors, people looking at how to create those events, how to create and how to promote that. I definitely think is definitely a future. And then, yeah, I think there there may be a few unique initiatives on the horizon that we've kind of starting to talk about that I think will be unique and uh, we'll see how they come together. None you can mention here. On no, that not, yet. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Just a lot of, no. 
I, I have a few rapid fire questions. If yeah, you're open absolutely. To get to know Kim a little bit more, get to know the region a little bit more. What's your favorite spot in, in Southwest Virginia? Oh my gosh. It's like asking me to pick a favorite child. <laughs> really just depends on the time of year. It really does. You know, I actually love to be outside. I love to do the creeper trail. I love to be on the new river. Sometimes on the weekends, I just want to go drive the Blue Ridge Parkway. Winter times a year, you know, I may do more of the music venues or, you know, maybe, you know, different things like that. I love Breaks Interstate Park. Like it's one of my favorite places that I feel like we don't talk about enough. The views up there are stunning and people haven't been, go check it out. It is a really unique destination. I don't know if I could actually just pick one. I know I know I can't pick one. Uh, it's just a little bit of everything. I'm, I'm a bit jealous. I have looked at your events calendar and there's always something going on in Southwest Virginia. So uh, for the listeners, check it out. If you haven't been to the area, definitely go. But back to the rapid fire questions. Do you have, I, I don't know if you're going to be able to answer this either, but do you have a favorite restaurant? I do. if I didn't answer this if I did not answer this honestly those people that know me are going to be like you just okay I'll I'll do like a lot of different places but I go to this Chinese restaurant in Withful at least once a week once every other week it's called Peking it is amazing it is a destination for sure if you're going through (laughs) I am guilty of um, just driving through and running in and getting two egg rolls to go with this little like <laughs> duck sauce dipping sauce that comes in a you've got to ask for it in a little thing. Well, no lie, I go there like once a week. Like so I can't so if I said, oh no, I love them all, I do love them all. There are some amazing restaurants throughout Southwest, but I will end up at Peking at least once a week. Like it's just and if anybody who knows me would would probably call me out on that if I didn't answer that. <laughs> I guess off the top of your head, what's the most popular attraction in mm. Southwest? I'm going to go, well, it's really Cotley. It depends because it depends on where you are, like in the region, because not everybody comes out the region. You know, people know the Virginia Creeper Trail really well. Of course, the birthplace of country music uh, is incredible too. The New River, the Blue Ridge Parkway. I would think, you know, of course, we've got the Clinch River as well as like High Knob. There's a lot of different things. But I think people will probably know the Blue Ridge Parkway the creeper trail and then people know about the birthplace of country music and then the new river as well there's so much more there is so much more people know about and i'm probably forgetting something there is so much more and people can definitely check out your website to find out mm-hmm. like i'm thinking about like the ponies at grayson highlands and breaks interstate park and you know all the different yeah. things yeah very cool for people that don't know those ponies at grayson highlands are wild ponies so if you're hiking grayson highlands you can <laughs> happen upon a wild pony which i think is really cool mm-hmm. uh, what other if, if you were to have to go i know you don't often but if you were to have to go outside your region what's your favorite what's your other favorite area or place to travel to um i love the coast i love the north carolina and south carolina coast uh, that's where we find it's very, it's really easy to get to. Uh, so I'm a beach girl. So I'll be there or go down to the Panhandle in Florida between Destin, Panama City, that area, uh, and spend some time. That's a big one for us. I love mountains. I love Virginia mountains, but I also do a lot in Sm- uh, Great Smoky Mountains in Tennessee uh, that we do a lot, you know, because it's just so close. It's, you know, an hour and a half, two hour drive max. So um, spending a lot of time. Of course, I've lived in Knoxville for 10 years, so I know that area really well. I would say you'll find us at the beach on like North Carolina, South Carolina beaches or down in the panhandle. That's probably where we go. Do you have a bucket list 
travel destination? I do. I do. Golly, I haven't thought about this in a hot minute. I have things I want to do. Does that make sense? Like, it's not yeah, just I, I want to go, this thing I'm getting ready to say, I could have that experience in America, but I want to go see this person in concert in this place. And I've been to this place. <laughs> so I want to go like one bucket list that comes to the top of my mind. Yeah, I've thought about this. I, oh, yes. Oh, I have a whole list. You can look on my Pinterest page. It's all there. It's I want to see Jimmy Buffett live in Paris. Like that is my go-to. Um, I just need him to book a show there and we're there. So <laughs> see him Buffett in Paris. I've been to Paris. I've seen it. But I want to see him there. I don't know why. I've seen him here. Like That's an amazing, that's an amazing. Times. You, you, better, you better hurry though. Jimmy's getting up there in age. You just have to do it. You just have to do it. I'm just going to have to do it. And he's like, he's not, yeah, we're not talking about that because I'm <laughs> still trying to process what I'm going to do there. <laughs> what do you prefer, cornbread or biscuits? Cornbread. Cornbread. I love cornbread. <laughs> I love it. You're, you're very certain. You know what you like. I like it. I, I mentioned in the, in the intro that you went to the University of Tennessee. Did. We will not hold that against you, but how much orange do you have in your wardrobe? Enough. Like, I'm good. I mean, I lived in <laughs> well, one item is enough. No, 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 no. I, um, you know, I grew up, I grew up in Bristol. And so I knew I was going to be going. To, I mean, it's like I knew I was going to go to elementary school, middle school, high school, and college. Like, I, I applied to one school. And then I lived in Knoxville after graduation, some time after graduation. And so every Friday you wear orange, like Fridays, you wear orange. I'm sure in Kentucky, you wear blue, you know? And so, um, only in days that end in Y do you wear blue in Kentucky. Yeah, you, there, there you go. Yeah. So yes, I do have a lot. I balance that a little bit here, you know? Um, but I'm still, I mean, I'm still, I'm still a ball of heart. I always will be. Uh, yes. I think we've covered a lot here in rapid fire. I think we've gone a little longer than rapid, but I, ha I have one last question. Okay. You know, uh, I think there are a lot of amazing communities in Southwest Virginia, as we talked about. I think Mac McClung put Gate City <laughs> on the map recently. Yes. Uh, Ashley Judd, I'm pretty sure, based on the movie, was born in Big Stone Gap. <laughs> Um, I mean, there's so many uh, individual small communities throughout Southwest Virginia and people that have come out of Southwest Virginia. Can you name the most famous person just off the top of your head that, have, that has come out of Southwest Virginia? Outside the Carter family? <laughs> no, you can answer the Carter family. Yeah, I mean. No, there are some incredible might, ones, but especially would, when we're talking about like heritage and culture and music, you think about, not, and, and also I would say, you know, Pop Stoneman, which a lot of people don't know that name, which I should, which is the reason why Bristol's known as the birthplace of country music. And I'll say that, you know, he's the one that was recording that Hillbilly Mountain Music is what they used to call it. And had a record executive in New York take an interest and say, can we want to come to your region? We want to come and record the sound. And where Bristol was on the train line is the reason that they came. He came to Bristol and for two weeks he recorded and recorded people like Jimmy Rogers he recorded, you know, from Mississippi, but was living in North Carolina. They recorded the, the Carter family. They recorded so many others. And then they took it and commercialized it and sent it out. And that's when it became those recordings for the first time it was called country music. So that sound had been around that sound, you know, you think about, you know, the Opry started, the Grand Old Opry in Nashville started in 1925. You know, the Bristol Sessions happened in 1927. And so, you know, that music was going, that music popped someone from Galax, Virginia, or right outside of, you know, right there with it. Then you have the Stomans. And you think about shows like Hee Haw and other like different unique things that they were just part of. And so 
I think, you know, that's just music. I, that's just one lane, right? <laughs> that's just music. Oh my, oh my um, and so I can talk about that forever, but there's, there's some incredible people from Southwest, uh, but especially in our music side, there's just yeah. a, that, that unique sound that we now call country music or what has turned into country music, you know, was really celebrated for what was going on here. You gave me a little bit of nostalgia. I used to watch when you mentioned Hee Haw, I used to watch it every, every week with my grandparents at their, at their house. Like, yeah. I remember we had this TV that was on wheels. I don't know if you remember this, but it was like on wheels. Like we didn't have the big stationary TVs. I'm sure we did, but, and so like we would wheel it around to the dining room table on Saturday nights, or I would sit in the floor and eat my dinner. We always had steak on Saturday nights. I don't know why. I guess, I don't know. We weren't that fancy. We were not that fancy, but that was our fancy thing. Right. And like, I would wheel that little TV, like, over my parents to the table and that's what we would do we watch hee-haw that's you yeah, know my childhood it's great love it. thank you thank you so much for the rapid fire thank it, you it's amazing you ask a tourism director a simple simple rapid fire question one answer question and you get the whole history of southwest virginia i love it i love it i did answer your cornbread question in one answer <laughs> you did you did you were very certain there Two of the questions that we ask everyone. One is, what's the first thing you think of when I say the word Appalachian? Southern hospitality. I don't know why, but like that's what it is. It's just that home, I guess, that home feeling of home. We, we get home a lot. And speaking of home, the other question is, just where do you call home? What makes it home for you? What makes it unique? You know, it was really important. About 10 years ago, my husband and I decided to move home, right? We were living in Knoxville and decided to move home. And it's our family, it's our friends, it's, but it's that, but there's also nothing like working in an area that you're from and working to make it better. There's just nothing that can, that is that passion, that drive, that grit, that fortitude of just continuing on and not, not getting pushed down because you're doing, you're trying to make it better than what you left it. You're trying to make it better than what we had when we were growing up. And so I think definitely that's what home means to me. You know, there's just so much passion. Um, and I'm so glad that we made the change. I still adore Knoxville. I still love that town. But there's nothing like being where my parents are, or my in-laws are, my family, you know, and being able to do that. And my husband's from here too. So we're both back home. Well, Kim, thank you so much for being on the show. We've had a couple other organizations. We've had Kentucky Wildlands on the show. Oh, yes. We had the PA Wilds on the mm -hmm. show. Both organizations doing very unique tourism in regards to their own regions. You as well are doing amazing work in Southwest Virginia. Such a unique organization, such a unique atmosphere, such a unique climate. Some amazing things coming out of Southwest Virginia. One of those is Kim Davis and the work that you're doing there at Friends of Southwest Virginia. So thank you so much for being part of the show. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Far away on the hill to a sunny mountainside Many years ago we parted my little Ruth and I From the sunny mountainside She clung to me and trembled when I told her we must part She says, don't go my darling It almost breaks my heart to think of you So far, far Can me back to old Neil, such a good episode with Kim, you know, talking about what her organization does and how it not only helps tourism, but it helps to drive small business growth, it helps to drive entrepreneurship. It's such a unique 
organization and that it not only works in tourism with marketing and events, but it also works on the infrastructure side where they have the market where they work with towns to help revitalize their main streets, revitalize their downtowns. It's just a really cool organization of how they all work together. Yeah, for sure, man. I really appreciate her uh, coming on and, and talking to us. It was uh Great education. You know, I mentioned collaboration and how she mentioned that, you know, visitors don't see state lines. They don't see county lines. They just see tourist destinations. They, you know, they may stay in the next state over. And so those organizations are working together. And it was inspiring to hear her say that and hear about all the work that they're doing. It's like I said in the beginning, it's such an incredible part of the country uh, that more people need to know about. Yeah, man, it's a great little, great little neck of the woods. Uh, one that we're fairly familiar with and um, can't say enough things about it. It, it reminds me of uh, where we grew up. So uh, good people, good place. Yeah, we just want to thank Kim again for being on the show, talking about it, talking about tourism in general and helping us better understand what they do, how they do it and why they do it, most importantly. Yeah, for sure. I wanted to ask you, Bill, do you want to highlight a at biz of the week for us? I think it only does things justice to highlight Kim's favorite place over in uh, Wytheville, a Peking Chinese restaurant. If you want to check it out or if you're in the area, you can go to PekingVA.com, as in Virginia. Obviously, a really, really unique Chinese place over there in, uh, in Wytheville. And anytime you're through there, I would definitely recommend stopping in. I know I'm going to hit it up next time I'm in the I'm in the area for sure. Yeah, she made me hungry just talking about it. I mean, I, I want to go get a couple egg rolls right now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I guess that wraps up the episode tonight and wraps up the tourism focus that we've had. I guess we can end it like we usually do. Till next time. Peace. getting lighter the air's getting thin now i'm facing down with a grin i've been in the city too long sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs now i'm back up where i belong in the mountains